the comment from one of the founders of Lion that it's, you know, 90% marketing and 10% beer. And Kraft has tried to um, switch that and say it's 90% beer and 10% marketing, but it's showing that the marketing is so much a part of consumption these days. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on the 11th of August 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined solo by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Welcome back. Hi, Matt. Good to be back. So we had Claire last week. It was great feedback from everyone uh, hearing her sing. We recorded on a Wednesday, and uh, you've been sick, and now we've got you back. I used to enjoy being a listener, not a talker, so it was nice to listen to the two of you last week, and it was nice to hear the boom at the end, as everybody pointed out. Yeah, it was. And, uh, but we, we like having you on, as a content provider, not a listener. Oh, good. Um, so that's oh, good. good. Now, uh, if, if my energy le- levels and voice are a little bit low this week, I am knee-deep in the Brisbane Echo. So day And this six, is the, ex- this is the, the Brisbane, show. The, the Brisbane show, the, the Royal Queensland show. So you've got the Royal Melbourne, you've got the Sydney yep. Easter show, with Brisbane show. Um, unfortunately, I don't have Pete this year. So, you know, not just the podcast, but don't have Pete at the – Echo this year, so I miss him. Um, but uh, got a lovely text from him because this has always been the week that he's been up here doing the Echo and missing his anniversary. So for about eight years in a row, he missed his uh, wedding anniversary. So he sent a nice text last night saying how much he was actually enjoying uh, his wedding anniversary. <laughs> his wedding home anniversary, with his wife. but don't tell his wife. So I'm pretty sure that. Carol isn't a uh, a listener, so uh, so big shout out to Pete. Miss you, Matt. How long have you been doing the echo? About eight or nine. Years. Well, we had the two years off, and yep. I think we'd done the eight years before that. So it's a craft beer alley. The uh, installation. Regular listeners will know what it is. It's a very much an industry wide craft beer event um, where we put together a selection of brewers that year on year has actually shrunk the footprint from where the, the geographic footprint so it's very much southeast Queensland brewers this year and so we've got uh, seven craft breweries or seven breweries um, and pouring a range of beer so I curate a mix so for example we've got everything from the heads of Noosa Japanese lager right up to the four heart stout we've got oat cream IPAs we had a beer from stone and wood that was made like a strawberry ice cream cone so it was a lactose strawberry sour um, it smell well, it's, it's an echo strawberry yeah. echo yeah so it, it was good but then we have you know like a summer ale from Moffat beach we've got um the uh what are, um, we've got some beers from easy time so we had their oat cream ipa as well as their ipa um so just a, a real mix of beer people might be surprised our listeners might be surprised to hear some of those beers that we're putting on because they're not the beer that that I, you, Matt that Kierkegaard, I personally would personally drink. Would no. personally drink. But that's what this stand is. It is trying to provide the exhibition crowd is so far outside of the craft beer bubble. It's the cross-section of the community who are experiencing craft beer for the first time. So we know from, you know, from attending festivals and talking to brewers and owners that even if they're not sort of out there running sales every day, they love to go to these events and pull, to craft beer events specifically and mm. pull beers because they get to learn from the audience. So what have you gathered from dealing with the non-dedicated craft crowd in the last kind of week? And, and, and this is my... 10 days of professional development every year where I really get to see where the industry is. Um, And when we first started, it was about 20... 
2012, 2011, people came up thinking that the craft beer tent was homebrew or, you know, something like that. They, they didn't know and they, you know, didn't know what hops were. They didn't know. The people who are coming up these days are experienced enough in the modern beer trends that they can say, oh, I don't want anything that tastes of passion fruit, you know, or I don't want anything that tastes of pineapple. But it's not hops, and they know that it's hops to some extent, but they know the flavour spectrum, or they, they know that there is a, what have you got that's interesting? A lot of people are saying, have you got any sours? That is, there is such a sweeping change in the mainstream perception of beer. Um, you still get a lot of people coming up whose favourite beer is a Great Northern or a Han, you know, super dry, um, and they want, but they're, they're not asking for that, they're actually coming up and say, "What have you got that's like this?" So mm. they know that they're, you know, that it's not just a one brand thing, and they're willing to try other things. That's, you know, having said that, I might sound a little bit tired um, today. You know, I can hear the yeah, the enthusiasm because <laughs> I just love it. Like you, you get to see how um, uh, events like this are powerful in changing the narrative around craft beer and uh it's really really exciting to see that and um to you know it's it, it's it's a hard event to be at because i don't think it's not a beer it's not a beer festival and you couldn't have five or six breweries all there in because everyone would take what they wanted to be their big sellers or their flagships and the breweries that are there trust me to make sure that everyone's dealt with fairly so you know if one brewery one has got a easy drinking lager, we'll pour through a couple of kegs of that and then put brewery twos on and then brewery three. So everyone gets about the same and then put their IPA, which will be a little bit slower. So there is that, but we make sure that anyone that comes up will find something um, that they love. You know, we make the joke, we provide the complete beer fitting service and every, you know, we're, we're here to find your next favourite beer is is the, 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 the tagline and it's all a festoon like a sideshow alley tent and it's, uh, so it's great fun but the intent is very, very serious around educating people about craft beer. It can be exciting, it can be fun, it can be a little bit frivolous but there are these amazing beers that you can go in and buy day in and day out. So, if you um, like Great Northern, if, if, if you like Great Northern, yep. you can still find a great alternative to that. Yep. Um, yeah. In it. So anyway, so that was a very long way of saying, uh, yeah, um, I might be a little bit um, <laughs> down, but I'm actually not. Um, when, but anyway, we do have some news of the week. The headlines from uh, our senior journalist Claire Burnett: Inflation and excise increase pressure on brewers. Uh, the Australian Tax Office announced on Monday, first August, that it would increase excise on beer by four percent, which the Brewers Association called the biggest hike in three decades, and led to sensational headlines decrying the potential for ten dollars schooners. While major brewers are inevitably most impacted by the excise increase, smaller brewers are also feeling the pressure of price increases for raw materials such as aluminium. Uh, now, obviously, with an industry audience, none of that is going to be news news but as we do at Bruce news we looked at the analysis and you know excise is one of those really interesting topics at the moment because with the change in excise a lot of small brewers won't be affected by the excise hike on their pricing because they get the excise back but well all brewers not just small brewers oh, but, 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 so they, but yeah, all so brewers sorry, get their 300,000 the first 350,000 yeah. dollars but a lot of brewers won't be paying excise for that reason because yes. you know they're not even maxing out their excise rebate. So an excise increase doesn't necessarily affect them, but all of the other costs 
are. And this is where we're starting to see this multifaceted industry um, developing, that you've got big brewers who are lobbying for one thing, small brewers are unaffected or affected by other things, but then the, just the cost of everything that's going up is really putting a lot of price pressure on uh, brewers. Massive pressure. I mean, I was looking at some content out of the US that was talking about, you know, even their aluminium can manufacturers closing plants, opening plants, Mm. and actually increasing costs um, for their cans there as well, and talking about the cumulative impact um, of rising costs in every aspect. We talked about the the article out of the um, New Zealand several months ago that talked about the increase um, in in the potential cost of grains coming up in the future in part as a result of global grain supply being affected by in part the war in Ukraine. Um, and then I'll just also throw into the mix an article written by Wilsabel at Crafty yesterday who actually dug into what the retailers are seeing, not just the brewers mm. in terms of increasing cost and changing um, purchasing habits for people post-COVID. So the whole um, melting pot, I guess, of all of these impacts means that it is a really difficult time Mm. to sort of really position yourself. You know, I'm confident that a lot of breweries are now unable to go, this is our three-year, five-year, ten-year plan. They're they're going, what's our – how do we rationalise? What's our next six-month plan? What's our 12-month plan? You know, I'm sure that it is causing a lot more short-term thinking and planning as a result of, you know, just the uncertainty that's going on. To throw into that, a great article that, that, that you mentioned. We're publishing an article this week from Kate Bernot, who's a, an American beer writer um, who I was uh, chatting to. As part of the conversation I had with her, she mentioned that, let's face it, everyone in America is for sale. And I thought, hold on, what? And her insight was... And we, we might get her on the on for a chat, um, but even if they're not announcing it, and increasingly more and more brew, brewers are coming out and saying yes, we're for sale. And one that she name checked was Melvin Brewing, which is a you know was a really um, big brewery five or six years ago, a really hot brand. But they actually came out and issued a media release of saying if anyone wants to buy us, we're up for sale. But more and more breweries are for sale, you know, very very quietly, and we're seeing that here. The opposite of, of that effect is almost that instead of breweries saying we're for sale quietly, they're looking to capital raise. Um, equity crowdfund. E- equity crowdfund and, um, you know, not to prelude the, the next headline, but, um, you know, there's the equity crowdfunding is happening in part. We'll do that because – and I – very conscious that we have been doing equity crowdfunding a bit, but it is very, very topical. But there's been some interesting conversations I've had this week that I'll bring in. But the headline is New Brewery Future Magic Launches CSF Campaign and Melbourne's Three Ravens Launches Crowdfund. New Brisbane, well, it's not even a new Brisbane brewery, but Brewery in Planning uh, in Brisbane, Future Magic Brewing Company launched its equity crowdfunding campaign last Friday following an expression of interest phase. The business which submitted a develop which has only just submitted a development application for the East Brisbane site is looking for between two hundred thousand and eight hundred thousand to support the brewery launch on the virtual platform its maximum raise values of business at three point five million. Meanwhile, Melbourne's Three Ravens Brewery also launched its crowdfund offer on Monday, looking for a maximum investment of two million dollars. And I think that valued them at about fourteen million 
Uh, um, 10 million pre-valuation. Um, pre-valuation. Yep. So, so that's the news. So, I guess I would just sort of um, – the updates on their future magic have currently raised about 132,000 and 66% of their minimum and three Ravens have raised about 395,000 at about 79% of their minimums. And given – Both the on way, the virtual platform, yep. both currently. Given that the way these things are structured, if a week after their opening they haven't reached the minimum – there's because these things are built on we're going to get pre commitments, get pre interest, set our raise, set our and, and when you hear it, like they, they talk about we're going to speak to significant investors, um, and, and we're going to set our valuation based on the feedback that we get from the market in this expression of interest phase, and that's the whole marketing behind that thing when it's really about marketing it and building excitement. Um, and if they haven't gotten their minimum. There's seven days to go. Seven or? days. Yeah, but that's the thing. It, it, it's kind of like spinning the car tyres and then releasing the clutch uh, or re- releasing yeah, the brake. I, I agree. Um, I mean, I've had an interesting discussion recently about, you know, both of those raises um, were supposed to start and then didn't start for, you know, seemed mm. delayed. And we were like, I guess it's the pre-interest, you know, raising interest phase. But I think, you know, I want to be fair in this. There's a clear distinction between what Three Ravens are doing and what Future Magic are yep. doing. And Three Ravens have raised funds in the past through including government grants Mm. and those are highly scrutinised, require a lot of work to go into them, Mm. require a lot of follow-up. So there is a very – they are not – we are not comparing like for like. Yes, they're both raising right now and they're both raising on the platform but they are very different propositions and I would imagine that they are pursuing very different sets of investors in their own sort of community. So – with all of that as the caveats to the, the discussion, I think, you know, to your point around all the breweries are for sale, in Australia we've had that conversation recently where there is not really any more large uh, players to buy out small breweries. They've kind of got their stables full unless we're seeing other... And um, yet, as you would have heard uh, me say last week, during the investor presentations on these, the representative from Birchall is quite happy to say, you know, it's the most active acquisition space in, in, in the market. Just hanging this possibility out there that's just never going to take place. Well, it do, it, it, it's not going to take place through the traditional um, purchases um, of Lion and CUB that we would have anticipated. As you've pointed out in the past, there may be some overseas conglomerate that decides that they want to have some sort of a footprint in Australia, but that is a very outside... I don't think they're going to buy a brewery that's currently making 200,000 litres. I agree. I'm not talking about these two breweries. I'm just talking about generally. You know, we've we've basically analysed the market, Mm. said there aren't a whole lot of players in the Australian... active in the Australian market currently who would be looking to to purchase a craft mm. brewery. So all of these things together mean that there's less exit plans for people that are lucrative. Um, the competitive landscape is harder and, and um, you know, even as, as pointed out in the in the Crafty article I mentioned earlier from Will, you know, uh, and Brendan Varus raised, the number of beers in the market is astronomical. Um, you had that chat with... Brian Watson from Good George and Smart Brew, who actually talked about the Smart Brew product and mm. what that can do. And, you know, my first thought was um, if you're a hotel in Australia and you've 
you can brew your own beer and get a $300,000 excise rebate and then sell your beer at margin on tap and you could afford to acquire the smart brew system. You then have very low staff resources um, and you can have the the aura of uh, having your brewery... For consumers, that's near enough. Consuming, it's near enough. Um, and so, as you've pointed out, as the um, Little Bang sale showed, um, this sort of hotels getting involved in the competitive landscape is potentially going to increase. Mm. And again, on valuations, Little Bang didn't sell for anywhere near. So when you do have a sale, when you do have an acquisition by a professional sale engineered through KPMG that properly values a business by a sophisticated business that actually wants to make money out of the acquisition, which is what Little Bang was the valuation was nowhere near what these equity crowdfundings uh, are raising at. And that's where the conversations that I had this week, I had three brewers say to me, uh, or business owners say to me this week, why wouldn't I do an equity crowdfunding? It is free money. It is, I don't need to, why would I go get a bank loan when I can tap, you know, get a million dollars and give nothing away for it? And so... With less scrutiny than a bank loan. and, And no scrutiny... You've you've got virtual, you know, so you you pay virtual six percent um, for for the raise, and they do their marketing campaign that sells you know the vision and the dream. You'd be paying ten twelve percent interest if you borrowed that money, and as, as we've seen, you you don't owe you can your investors anything. You can get away with giving them nothing apart from the feel good feeling of having a share in a brewery. Now. My observation with that is, yeah, look, if, if, if you are a business owner and you can see that and that's where you get your money from, you can perfectly understand that. My point is that that's terrible for the industry if that mindset, the, 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 the businesses that are getting the free money or have got the free money are putting competitive pressure on everybody that doesn't have the free money to do the same thing. Yeah, so I think that's the point. That The reason that I looped that yeah. into this conversation about excise is because and inflation is because you need to consider those things in terms of the current competitive landscape and the current competitive landscape is a highly competitive cost pressures mm. which are forcing higher competition limited exit strategies for breweries um so we've seen a couple of closures of small breweries recently where they've just shut up shop because there's no sort of exit um and so the alternative to all of those things is um, it's harder to get bank loans. Let's get free money. For, for me, when I'm thinking about me and my business, I want some free money so that yep. I can continue to compete in this really di- difficult competitive market. Um, but actually the net result of all of these individual breweries doing that is it's just increasing the competition for everyone. And so it, it is... Businesses that aren't viable who get free money taking sales away from otherwise viable businesses. But the mindset that this is free money and we can basically capital raise off our best customers and give them nothing and everyone's going to do that, it makes the industry look amateur. It makes the, you know, it, 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 if, if that's the approach that we can't run our businesses without doing this to our best customers. And when Brewdog used to do it, I had businesses sneering at them, you know, breweries sneering at them going, they, you know, they they sell to professional investors at X percent. You know, they basically tax their best customers by charging them so much more for the same thing. Which is what's happening here. If you get a professional investor in your brewery, 
you can sell at a much smaller value than percentage. So you're you're essentially gouging your best customers. If you call a spade a spade, you're gouging your best customers, charging them so far over the odds of what your business is worth to get that free money. When that is widespread across the industry, that is going to hurt the perception of the industry when and you know when enough of these close. Um, and hopefully, well, and and I think if this, they do, and this is going to be, I think, you know, we've been saying it for a couple of years, but you know, speaking to a couple of breweries, you know, and again, referencing, you know, the articles that have come out recently, it's almost harder now because all of the government subsidy dollars that were getting people through COVID, mm. that were helping breweries set up during COVID, is gone, yep. and so you are seeing um, with with kind of long COVID and COVID in the community and the, the level of illness we're just seeing um, in the community, you know, uptake in venues and retail, it's all shifting and it can't be predicted at the moment. People don't know whether it's going to be a busy day or a, not a busy day. Um, we've just looked at staffing as difficult. And so all, all in all, it's just going to be a really tumultuous time over the next 12 months and I think what is going to be really interesting is whether we see um, breweries that would be w- that we would consider to be kind of mainstay part of the the stable of craft breweries in Australia shut down. Mm. Um, you know, maybe those that were severely debt leveraged or those that had zero margins at all, because suppliers are going to be putting up prices mm. over the next twelve months, and so it hasn't hit yet. And that's where it's like it, it's a really hard conversation to have because. From a business point of view, if you can get this money to keep you afloat, why wouldn't you? Yep. And 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 that, that and, and there's no criticism of the businesses that are yep. necessarily uh, you know. It's not about any funding. individual one. But the mindset that's going into it, and they're, they're they're all promising because you can't do this and just say we need money to stay open, we need money just to operate, or we need money, and and why not do it this way instead of going to a bank? They're all promising a vision that my experience is that we're not seeing any of. I don't know of any crowdfunding um, that – well, no one's made any money out of it that I've in Australia that I've seen. No, no one's got a return on the investment. None of the breweries have been um, taken over. No, but some of them have done what they said they were going to do with the money. So, so some of them have. So and, some of them have. And some of them haven't. Uh, uh, and, and there's quite been a no, number of them haven't done Including one, one yep. that's the moment. Um, yep. You know – and, and incidentally, this is the problem, the lack of scrutiny. Um, you know, Akasha came on to answer questions. You know, we had the, the chat with Claire. Um, to their credit, the Future Mountain guys have been very accessible in talking about their plans and sort of speaking about it. Some of the other breweries have been very reluctant to come or have said, oh, well, we want to speak to Birchall before we do or we will supply written answers, um, not spoken answers, presumably because they want to run it. And I'm sort of going, well... Who's driving this? You're virtual. You know, if they they could keep referring it back to the platform. I have many, many views anyway, about yeah. this, but we won't go down that, that rabbit hole. But I, I just think all of these things combined, so those first three notes that we've made, mean, um, you know, it really is gearing up to be a really difficult mm. and challenging time for craft beer. And yet, as you come away from 10 days or whatever at the Ecker, watching pe- – there's, there's still nothing like 
having a beer with people and watching them be enthusiastic yeah, about it. And so there just is this thing that there is still this magic to it, but even how difficult it's going to be. People chasing this dream, yeah. the growth is the aim of every brewery. Growth and a sale is the aim of, of the thing. Um, and the, the interesting thing that you uh, we, we spoke off mic about the article that Will wrote in the Crafty Pint was this idea that anyone who during lockdown yep. grew their business on the constantly changing 440 mil specialty can, that mark, the steam's out of that market already. Yeah, certainly that was the takeaway that I took from this and I thought that was a really interesting point, you know, out of this article and that, you know, people adapted to try and produce what needed to happen to stay alive during COVID. That's shifted again already. Um, and so, I, I, I don't know, I just think um, business plans for people aren't probably going to be what their plans, what they thought their plans were. Um, and, you know, Brennan Varus pointed it out several weeks ago, he wouldn't have thought that there is, um, you wouldn't want to be setting up a brewery with plans of world domination today. You would have a very clear view of what it was that you were planning to achieve as a brewery. And so, you know, to your point, people that are setting it out saying there's this big dream of a massive payday at the end to some yet-to-be-discovered third party um, are probably not well-placed. The, the, the one thing I'll say is that a lot who are saying that they're going to be using the money to open tap rooms, <laughs> you know, if everybody's opening tap rooms, how is that a strategy, you know, uh, interstate tap rooms away from your brewery. It, it's, yeah. Um, anyway. Speaking of interstate. Speaking of interstate, um, Lions Swan Draft returns to Western Australia. Nearly 10 years after Swan Draft was last brewed in Western Australia, production is returning to the state with Kieran-owned Lion confirming that it would be brewing Swan Draft kegs out of Little Creatures Fremantle. The move is reportedly due to major supply chain challenges facing faced by all businesses looking to distribute to Western Australia as currently Swan Draft is brewed out of the Turi Tui's Brewery in Sydney. Allied to that, uh, Lion sells UK's Magic Rock and Four Pure. Line has announced the sale of Magic Rock and Four Pure in the UK following a strategic review marking a step change in its international expansion plans. Magic Rock Brewing in Huddersfield was acquired in 2019, whilst London's Four Pure was bought into the portfolio in 2018. The brewery acquisitions were milestones in Kieran-owned Line's international expansion plans. It subsequently went on to acquire US breweries Bells and New uh, Belgium Brewing. So that probably ties back to what we were saying that they're not buying, they're selling, but then also how you know how hard it is in business. You know, five or six years ago, um, you know, over the last decade, we've seen Lion close Swanbury, which you know the, the loss of a state-owned brand. They thought that you know state-brewed brand. They thought they could do it was brewed in South Australia for a while. They closed that down, and they're finding a lack of you know that it's hurting them, particularly as the WA. Um, you know, gauge roads and then a lot of the smaller ones are increasingly trading on the fact that they're brewed locally. So they've gone back to Little Creatures uh, to be brewed there. Um, but then also breweries are selling. I mean, I saw this as interesting, the two articles combined. I just thought, you know, this is really clear um, common sense business for a brand the size of Lion. They are looking at the margins just like small breweries are in every sense. And um, you know, the first thing I thought was that's great for employment in WA. Um, let's hope that doesn't mean anything for the staff there at Watuis. That's great. Um, you know, they've brought on 10 extra staff in a market as WA. 
Um, I was just looking at some uh, job stats and, you know, there are a lot of brewing jobs in the last 12 months advertised and we know that that's continuing to be a challenge. So I went straight to, you know, that's great, it's going to be brewed there, that's great, that's more jobs. Um, It's probably great for their carbon footprint, to be fair. So I went, this makes a whole lot of business sense for a whole host of reasons. But it also shows that they are responding to clear business pressures by making – and in fairness to Lion, both of these show that they are not afraid to backtrack sounds like a bad word. But they're they, nimble. They, they'll, they'll, they'll adapt. So they're not prepared. They are. If they said, we're going to do this, we're putting our whole heart and soul into this move, and then they find out in five years' time it's bad business, they will change their mind again. Although they'll never come out and say, yeah, we shouldn't have pulled out. It's logistics pressures. Sure. <laughs> no, no, sure. No, no, yeah, and, and, and that's why it's being sold. But anyone who didn't think that this was a predictable potential downside to pulling out of state-based markets... But it does show, I mean, on the UK Magic Rock and Four Pure, that was, again, um, Lion had this sort of grand global um, plans and you've seen that over the years being chipped back away. Mm. Um, you know, um, we talked about, you've talked about little creatures a number of times in the US. They sort of chipped away at these um, international expansions and sold them off and that has to be saying something about the global competitive landscape that the even the large businesses are feeling the pressure. And buying, again, buying small, relatively small breweries like Four Pure, they, even Lion can't scale those businesses. You've got New Belgium that was one of the biggest ones yep. there and then they had a growing Voodoo Ranger brand. So their core brands have gone down but their Voodoo Ranger is increasingly going well. Um, Bell's was very much a you know, established brewery, um, they're not buying the rapidly acquired, you know, because very few businesses are rapidly growing um, still, you know. So it's interesting, just on the Voodoo Ranger, I was listening to this whole thing about whether there's an ad- action part coming out for Voodoo Ranger. Did you see all of this? It was a whole conversation about um, is there actually going to be a Voodoo Ranger action park? Anyway, that's just an yeah. aside. Well, um, I haven't seen it, that. And it was this really interesting discussion about, you know, what are New Belgium trying to do with Voodoo Ranger? Are they just trying to get, you know, essentially it sounds like they got a whole month's worth of um, – of marketing content and nothing kind of tangible out the other side of it. But again, I was thinking about that in the context of this lion and New Belgium and thinking, you know, even those established brands are struggling to break through. And again, Mm. Brian Watson mentioned uh, the comment from one of the founders of Lion that it's, you know, 90% marketing and 10% beer. And Kraft has tried to... um, switch that and Mm. say it's 90% beer and 10% marketing, but it's showing that the marketing is so much a part of um, consumption these days. And uh, that's what I'm seeing. Again, why I love being at the Ecker because people come up, we've got the shingles there. Every brewery has got exactly the same branding presence. So you don't have, for example, a stone and wood tap that's more expensively decorated than the smallest craft brewery, for example. Everyone's got exactly the same presence. We write the name of the beer on a chalk shingle next to the brand. And there are you know, some people who just come up and go, I'll have a stone and wood, thanks, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And they'll just buy whatever is pouring through the stone and wood tap just based on that. But, for example, the Japanese lager um, from four, uh, from Heads of Noosa, people just come up and order, I'll have the Japanese lager. 
And then when we replaced it with the Felon's Crisp Lager, which is very, very similar flavour profile, not quite the same. There is something about just calling it Japanese Lager that has a connotation of quality and it just seems to sell itself. And even before they've tried the beer. And then you describe beers in different ways when they come up and try it. And if you tell the wrong person that this is, oh, it's a lovely fruit. Oh, no, I don't like fruit, even though it's not fruity. And it, it, it's marketing. Like, it's there is so much marketing involved in everything that uh, we do in this business. And, and so the reason I think all of this loops together with sort of the Lion thing and the conversation we just had is that even a business as large as Lion is having to be mm. nimble in this global compa- – so if you extrapolate the – level of competition in Australia out globally. They are operating in an extensive, um, highly competitive global marketplace. They are, as Claire pointed out in her articles, impacted the most by excise and inflation just due to volumes. They are making nimble business decisions and also they are struggling to market um, their products like Voodoo Rangers in key markets around the world. And so that's a leading indicator about where we are at in terms of um, how challenging it is out there. The thing I love about this industry, though, is you don't have to be the size of lion to be nimble in your marketing. <laughs> because <I've missed> this. <laughs> if you've got a can, you know, it's a billboard. It's your marketing. If you've got an idea that you have today, you can get cans with your idea on it. Where do you reckon you'd get in those the, from? You that? would get. I oh, look. I know the place. It is a little place called Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging because beer can labels are regarded as the new mini billboard of the beverage industry. They say a lot as an advertisement as you can hold the can in your hand. The label is also providing a new voice to the designers and artists with a very brilliant canvas to prevent some terrific artworks and some tongue-in-cheek quips. Just brilliant. We could bang on about the colours and the logos and the barcodes and the high-res images and the text sizes, but I won't. Seriously, we can get to the specs. You can get the specs right or you can get your bottle looking the best at all times by calling the guys at Rallings Labels, Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au and find out how they can make you nimble as you change your marketing uh, very flexibly in a emerging global marketplace. You can find Rallings on our uh, business directory um, or look in the show notes for that phone number, 1300 852 235. Seamless. Seamless. I'd Just like all, their I'd cans. forgotten about that. Great article from Vivian to No low growth continues despite low purchase propensity. A few comments about low purchase propensity. That was the quote that was used in the uh, um, presentation. But over the last 12 months, no low purchase propensity increased by six percentage points. Try saying that, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, but is nowhere near close to full penetration yet, according to recent data from IRI Australia. The market research company recently held its No Low Normalisers webinar, which provided insights on how the No Low market has shifted over the past year. The increase in claimed purchase propensity underpinned a 72% gain in dollar growth via grocery and liquor channels combined estimating annual sales at $152 million. In contrast to this, however, IRI found no low products had impacted less than 5% of liquor occasions. So I'm going to claim a win on this one. So low purchase propensity Propensity. means that the number of people who are likely to purchase that product. Yes, in my understanding, yes. Right, okay. So for me then, the article, the 
the the line that I took away out of um, the article from Vivian was, uh, when we look at all these metrics combined, they're actually low compared to full strength or regular alcohol beverage on all three metrics, growth scope, research and product director said. But that doesn't mean no load is not important. It just means that it started from a very low base and therefore it has a huge opportunity to grow. And so (laughs) so I just sort of, that really combines the two points that you have made many a time, Matt, and that this data actually supports, which is there's an increasing set of the market that says they may or be likely to choose that offering, but it is still a very small um, component of the overall market. However, we define the edges of the market these days. It's a very important segment of the beer market. That's right. Oh, but oh, when you, when you talk yeah. about the opportunity for growth, I mean that's a little bit like saying I've I've got a huge opportunity to be a better opera singer because I'm not a great opera singer yet. Doesn't mean I can be. I think it means that anything with a good idea has opportunity. Well, there's 95 percent of the market that isn't of the beer market that isn't no low. So yes. There is potentially 95% of the market that could be claimed by no low, but will it? My argument is no, it won't. Yes, sure, fine. I just think it depends on how you categorise what is the market. Is this just of beer or is this of alcohol or is this of all adult beverage or is this of all beverage? Increasingly, as I've noted in from my perspective, the lines are blurred and that's probably okay. It just means that when we use phrases like this of the market, it's really difficult to know what we're actually talking about. Yep. Sydney so that's, Brewery. that Sydney Brewery wins big at 2022 Royal uh, Sydney Royal Awards. Major, now we've already covered the uh, diversity of the panel, um, which yeah. was great. Um, but the we've now have the results and major winners at the 2022 Sydney Royal Beer and Cider Awards announced over the weekend include Sydney Brewery, Wayward Brewing Company, and Australian Brewery. So Sydney Brewery won the champion draft beer and best New South Wales beer. Wayward Brewing was champion package beer, and the Australian Brewery, which isn't like on everyone a household name, won the champion experimental or specialty beer category. But um, yeah, so just interesting. So well, I guess those who want the full results. You know, Sydney. I mentioned this to you off mic, but Sydney Brewery have done very well at the Queensland Beer Awards the last couple of years, um, taking out major trophies. And so, um, you know, they're obviously consistently producing high quality beer. Exactly. So, uh, yep, so that rounds out the news. Now, uh, let's hit the Brewery of the Week, uh, presented by Bluestone Yeast and also the Mailbag, which is a nice little happenstance. Um, The Brewery of the Week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Bluestone Yeast ships all over the country and uses sustainable and environmentally friendly packaging. Uh, And you can look at uh, the link in the show notes to planetprotectorpackaging.com that will tell you all about that. And it keeps the yeast cold for up to five days. You can find out more by reaching out to Bluestone Yeast at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call our good friend Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. He really does. Like, he's a bit of a yeast beast, really. He loves talking about it. So you can, uh, yeah... Have a look in the show notes and uh, find out. But we do thank Bluestone Yeast for the support. Normally, we talk about a brewery that you or I have visited, but mm. we received a great email in um, this past week from Thomas Grieve. Shout out to you, Thomas. Um, I recently went down to Melbourne to celebrate my 40th and the day after my party, a good friend and I visited Deeds Brewery Tap Room. I have to say it was one of the nicest tap rooms I've ever visited. It was spacious with high ceilings. You're able to book a table and enjoy their taps while also having a great selection of food, 
or you could sit at their huge bar and do exactly the same, drink beer and eat good food. The staff were knowledgeable and very helpful and overall the experience was amazing. A great way to spend a lazy Saturday afternoon. If you're in Melbourne, I would recommend a visit to their venue and as you have been talking about breweries recently, I really wanted to pass this on to listeners for you to mention it. So that's um, a fabulous you know, testimonial for Deeds and their taproom experience. And, and I, I, mean, I, I can't comment on that because I haven't been, but I'm going. Yeah, now, now you would now, go, wouldn't now, you? Now that I've heard that, I'm uh, definitely going, which makes it the perfect brewery uh, of the week. Perfect brewery of the week. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to report back um, next time I'm in Melbourne um, so I can, I can do that. But just, just to keep our circular economy going... Thank you to Thomas for sending that in. And Thomas, if you want to send us your uh, postal address, you are the winner of our mailbag. And the mailbag is sponsored by Lark Whiskey. Love this commercial. I actually love our friends at uh, Lark Whiskey. So they're the mailbag sponsor to celebrate the launch of Wolf Release 5 and the fifth year of the shared vision between the House of Lark and Victoria's Wolf of the Willows Brewery. For the next eight weeks, the mailbag letter of the week will receive a Wolf 5 Boilermaker Pack, including Wolf Five single malt whiskey, Wolf Five Johnny Smoke Porter beer, Lark beer glass, and Lark Glen Cairn whiskey glass. The Wolf Release Five launched on eight August, which was this week. Click on the link in the show notes to find out more about the uh, release and make sure you get your hands on it. It goes very very quickly. Um, and if you want to find out what a boiler maker is, uh, listen to the uh, if it's still running in the. Beer is a conversation. The uh, lovely chats. Uh, we might post those just as standalone. Standalones, so people can hear them. So you can find out a little bit more. It was fascinating to find out the you know history of uh, boilermakers. I didn't know that it wasn't just pouring the two together. It was the beer with the whiskey chaser, but that it was um, a little bit like the London porters naming the porters as their mm-hmm. favourite beer. The boilermaker was the boilermakers who would uh, need a little bit of. Um, soothing uh, after a shift hopefully after a shift if they were boiler makers um, and uh, you know so a beer and a whiskey just to uh, fortify them for the long trip home so uh, yeah but it was a uh, very, very nice and we thank our friends at Lark Whiskey um, for sponsoring the uh, letter of the week and also uh, our friends at Bluestone Yeast for Brewery of the Week. And the other thing that happened this week, um, Matt, was um, the big send-off for David Cryer in Melbourne this I week. unfortunately wasn't able to get down there for that. To, it looked like it was an amazing uh, send-off to a, to a real gentleman of the industry. Um, I, I was all ready to get down, but with the exhibition on trying to... I, I, it just didn't happen. Is well, it didn't happen. It, it, it's, it's, you can't book a flight now with any certainty that you're going to get there. Um, and so, back. Yeah. And back um, and when, when you've got other commitments on. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so, David, who is no stranger to the podcast and a huge friend of, 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 of everyone in the industry, is not just ours. So, uh, David, thank you. Let's do a 45-minute episode this week. Woo. Give people 15 minutes of their lives back that they didn't expect. So. Oh, I'm sure they appreciate it, <laughs> particularly when it's you and I. It's a rarity. No, well, we, it's, it's always good having that third voice. It was great having Brent Virus. We had a great response. So, uh, and it, Jimmy. Yeah. And, well, and, and, and Jimmy. Um, and uh, also Ian Watson when he's in. Um, yeah, so cool. Anyway, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, and welcome back, Sabrina Kunz. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich. 
and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Yakima Chief Hops, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast and Lark Whiskey for their support in making this episode possible. And if you don't want to give us your own money, give them your money because they are the people who make this possible. Thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au and by doing so, you could win one of those Lark Packs uh, or you can leave a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that... We're out.